Welcome to the Real Life Resilience Podcast. Stories of recovery from life's most difficult trauma with Stacy Brookman. I was going to do this wonderful, heartfelt, whimsical story about breast cancer. This is Stacy Brookman, and I'm glad you're listening to Real Life Resilience, the podcast that brings you a range of tools and stories to heal from tough life situations. During her first year of battling cancer, our guest today documented her traumatic experience through a series of emails and notebook entries. She decided that cancer was ugly, so it did not deserve a pretty journal. Now she inspires hope and positive outlooks for other people going through traumatic experiences. So if you've been in some tough situations in your life, stay tuned. Before we discover more, Let me share something with you that might change your life. You've been through tough times in your life. We all have. But there's a powerful truth. Your stories will reveal wisdom that you don't know you possess. The question now is, where do you start? There's a simple, tested step-by-step flow for discovering your life theme and putting your life into a beautiful story. A story that allows you to be the best possible version of yourself. Register now for Stacy's next free webinar where she reveals the four simple, proven methods to writing the first chapter of your life story this week. Simply click on the link in the show notes or head to stacybrookman.com webinar. I love to hear from listeners personally, and I answer my own emails. So drop me a line and let me know what you found interesting in this episode, or you can ask me a question over on social media. Now let's welcome the author of Hug Everyone You Know, A Year of Community, Courage, and Cancer, Antoinette Martin. Well, thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Now, you have had breast cancer in the past, and it's also revisited you. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Right. I was initially diagnosed with stage one breast cancer in 2007, which in all honesty has a wonderful prognosis so long as you go through the treatment, which I did. But within five years, it came back and it's now metastasized to my vertebrae. So it's considered stage four. There is no cure for stage four cancer. It's just a matter of management. And um, so I get to live with it now. Wow. That's got to feel so disturbing to have to live with Cancer. What did you feel or what did you think about when you got that diagnosis, the second diagnosis? Well, I was actually grateful that I had the first diagnosis because I never thought of myself as being someone who could manage through a health crisis on myself. I could help anybody else, but if it had to be me, it wasn't going to be. I'm very, mm-hmm. very squeamish. I prefer to faint <laughs> rather than deal with anything. So the stage one really prepped me for what I have to go through now. First, I was very scared because when you read everything, you hear everything, you're given 18 to 24 months. That's the average life expectancy upon diagnosis. But I'm just so fortunate to be living in a place where I have access to excellent care. And during a time when medicine is is it just incredible at this point, mm-hmm. between the uh, immune therapy and genetic testing. They're able to pinpoint exactly where this thing is originating and able to treat it from there without hurting the rest of the body. Nice. So I'm good. You know, right now it's five years, not impacted 
too terribly. You know, I, I go in for treatments, but it's not intruding on my life or my body so much. I have to learn to, you know, be a little more careful than I want to be. Right. Or that I'm used to being. I'm also growing older, so that was part of the plan too. (laughs) Now, during your very first year of cancer, you kept a journal, correct? Yes, yes. And I love what you said. You said you journaled through that first year of cancer, and it was a shabby notebook because you said that cancer didn't deserve a pretty journal. Tell me about that journaling and through that first year. Right. Well, I've always wanted to be a writer when I grow up. And I still do. So throughout my remembered life, I've always kept some type of a journal. And I went through, you know, the composition notebooks and the pretty lock diaries and all kinds of very nice looking notebooks that was very easy to carry around and Mm -hmm. was pretty. But when I got cancer, I I knew a time that I was journaling was, you know, the cancer was going to be front and center, but I didn't want it to honor it. I didn't want cancer Mm -hmm. to be honored in any way. So it was going to get a shabby notebook. I wasn't going to get a little bookmark for it or anything. I didn't have a special pen. Mm -hmm. Usually I have a special pen. You know, so that I didn't want it to be honored. And I kept on saying it was my lost year. And, and that, that's how I, I wanted to treat right. it. I didn't want to own it. You know, I can understand that. And I had, had never really thought about having a shabby notebook for something as bad as cancer before. But I think that makes a whole lot of sense. You don't want to honor that cancer. It's ugly. Yeah, it, it's ugly and it's disrupting my life. It's frightening my family. Mm-hmm. It's making everybody anxious especially me. And you said you also, during that time, you emailed family and friends updates and things because it was hard to talk about? Yes. Yeah. I'm not a chatty person. I don't chat on the phone, even with my sisters, my mother, or closest friends. So I usually save all that for in person. But going through the cancer, I I felt I was going to just always be out of control and cry (laughs) and maybe Uh faint, you know, all that (laughs) drama. (laughs) So it was easier for me to compose an email and send it out to my everyone. And that included my family and colleagues Mm -hmm. and close friends. So they didn't feel like they had to call me, touch base, and I didn't have to repeat the words and have to listen to the words again. So it also gave me a chance to rehearse what my perception of Mm -hmm. what was going on. It was my little therapist. <laughs> and that, that was my next question. How did writing all that down, whether in emails or your journal, how did that help you get through that time? Um, it, it was like therapy. Uh, and it was great because it was right there at my fingertips. I was able to get all the rambling thoughts in my worst case scenarios into perspective. You know, sometimes you just need to air it out either by yourself or, you know, through the writing or through ranting and then take a breath and say, okay, I said it, I did it. Oh, okay. Now I can get back to my reality. I have to go to work. I have a house to take care of. My one daughter was graduating college. The other one was needing some help in her college time. And there's a lot going on. And I really hated to miss a party and not be in control of what was going on in my 
I, I wasn't mm-hmm. about to surrender that at all. I think what happens typically, too, is that once you put things down on paper in black and white or on your computer, it really helps you process all of that stuff. Absolutely. I, apparently, that, that must be what I use if, have been using it for all these mm-hmm. years, even before cancer. You know, it, it gives me a voice. I love that. It gives you a voice. So you saved that journal and you saved the emails. Mm-hmm. What was your original plan for saving those? Oh, I thought I was going to write this bestseller. <laughs> because you have a, an MFA in creative <laughs> writing, right? A master's in fine arts and creative writing, which is yes. fabulous. Yes. So you mm-hmm. are a fabulous writer. And so you were going to write a bestseller about what? I, I was going to do this wonderful, heartfelt, whimsical story about breast cancer and throw in all the humor. So I Mm -hmm. kept everything, thinking that this would make a very different type of memoir or novel with emails going back and forth, that sort of thing. After a year after treatment, I would try to gather it up and look at it Mm -hmm. and I'd have to put it away. And I'd try it again and I'm crying and I can't look at this. And it's really making me incredibly anxious just having to face it again and after a couple of years of going back and forth with it i decided um maybe it just doesn't need to be told it's not a story that needs to be told i can't tell it i can't do this and then i was re-diagnosed and again thinking that uh, that i might have 18 to 24 months maybe maybe Mm -hmm. 36 so i needed to to have something Mm -hmm. for my daughters didn't i you know if if anything was going to happen i didn't want them to be scared so, um, so I sat down with it and I was so fortunate. I get treatment at uh, Memorial Sloan Kettering in New York and, um, they have a writer's program. And originally I contacted them saying, you know, I have an MFA and, you know, I, this marvelous writer. And, uh, they said, well, you need to be out of treatment for a year to volunteer, mm. to be a mentor. And I said, well, when you have stage four, you're never at a treatment. And then they said, well, then you can only be a mentee, hmm. which, you know, it's, uh, it's an antiquated right. rule at this point. So um, after, you know, stewing about it for a little while, I decided to take them up on the offer and be a mentee. And I was matched up with this wonderful man, Robert Sam Anson, who was so encouraging and a writer in his own right. He's editor of Vanity Fair. He's wrote several books. He was a news correspondent during the Vietnam War. So a very interesting person. So I gave him my little drafts and all my little issues that went with it. And he's like, well, what are you waiting for? <laughs> you have to write. <laughs> just write it. Damn it, just write it. So he, w- he, was, uh, he was encouraging mm-hmm. in other ways. But <laughs> right. <laughs> but that was the initial kick in the pants that it needed to be written. Fabulous. How long did it take you to gather all this stuff up and put it together in a cohesive manuscript? That you could submit, yeah, almost three years. Three years, okay. Took yeah. took almost three years. Yeah. yeah, it was slow. It was slow going. Right. I think it was worth it. It's a good story. It's told in a different way, you know, because I have authentic voices from the emails of others, and I just hope it inspires some hope and positive outlooks on life. You know, every day is a gift. We need to appreciate the moment, and that's why it's called "Hug Everyone You Know." 
right? Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the tagline is a year of community, courage, and cancer. And your community came around you and you actually developed your community around yourself, mm-hmm. right? And it, it was it was true because I never thought I'd ever be someone who would need such support. Mm-hmm. You know, I was always the one who would be the community person. Mm-hmm and surround myself around what was needed. It, it was hard to ask for help. And I, I honestly really didn't have to because they all kind of came around and helped anyway. I needed a shoulder to, to cry on. I, I always had someone. And uh, my husband was always there to catch me when I fainted. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so it was good. <laughs> so that's, that was your first year. And you, you uh-huh. said you got a second diagnosis. It came the cancer came back and it had metastasized. Right. And you're living with it right now. Yes. Does Are you still writing in a journal through this? Oh, yes. Session? Yeah. Um, I don't let it take center stage. Again, I, I refuse to call it mine. Mm-hmm. It's just something that, you know, I have. But when I'm journaling, I have other things that's going on. I've got grandchildren coming and I've got family. I've got homes, home things and we got boats in the backyard that need to get in, the, in and out of the water. <laughs> you know, there's all kinds of, of important things that I've got to do rather than worry about this cancer that is lurking. Right. So I want to just keep it on a back burner and I visualize it as a back burner problem Mm -hmm. and uh, just watch it. Let me ask you this. A lot of people don't start journals, and I know I didn't initially either, because I was afraid every single thing I wrote down was going to be negative. Like, my life is a mess, things are bad, Mm -hmm. and I didn't want everything in my journal to be negative, but you still kind of have to get that out, right? Oh, absolutely. Did did you ever have that fear, like, darn, I'm, I'm only writing bad stuff? Yeah, I'm just complaining. <laughs> right. I do a lot of that lately. <laughs> <laughs> I guess your journal doesn't complain that you complain too much, right? No, no. It's uh, it's pretty good about it. You know, as long as I have a pen working, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> but I think in between, after the ranting and the, the listing of disappointments and, you know, the wantings, um, you, you, can't, you look out the window and... You see, it's a beautiful day, mm-hmm. and uh, you have that whole day ahead of you. Just have to make it a good day. You got to make the day great. Right. I tell my girls, you got to make the day great. Only you could do it. Mm-hmm. Only you could make you happy. And you mentioned that journaling and writing helped you build your resilience and helped yes. you build your resolve to face what cancer did to your body and and mm-hmm. your family and friends. Tell me about that, your, your resolve to face it, how that, how that came about. Yeah, I, I think it came about very slowly. I, I, again, I never really thought of myself as being, you know, brave and, you know, a warrior or anything like that. I'm really kind of quiet mm-hmm. and steady. So I think what it brought out a, an inner strength that I never recognized before. And it let me, you know, articulate the fears without having to hear it. Mm-hmm. And then it had a, a way being expressed, but, and I didn't have to hear it, but it had a place. So there it is. Okay. So I said it, done. Right. And there you go. I think also, you know, I, I come from a family that is, you know, glasses almost full, not just half full. <laughs> it's almost full. <laughs> We're almost there. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> Which can and cannot be a good trade in, depending on what you have to do. But 
I, I think that that's the other side of it is that I, I think I was raised to be appreciative and happy with what we have. And generally, you know, I am. And if there's a problem, then you rally the masses and you make it the best you can. Right. And this book and your journal is not the only thing that you've written, correct? You've got no. more writing that you've done and you have yes. stories served around the table. That's that's a collection mm-hmm. of your family stories. Tell me about how that came about. Yes. Well, I come from a very large Italian family, so we don't sit down to the table unless there's at least 10 people. And there's food, and there's talking, and it's loud, and there's always stories going back and forth, back and forth. Remember when? Uh And these stories just keep on repeating and going on and on. And I've been getting, you know, very nostalgic. I'm finding that my parents are the oldest ones left of their generation, which, you know, I'm I'm so grateful I still have them, yet I'm like, oh, I'm so desperate to get all their stories out. Mm-hmm. You know, what What was it like when you were a kid? What was it like, you know, with your grandmother? My, my mother's mother was an incredible storyteller. And they were immigrants from Italy, from Sicily. And, you know, how they managed in, in the tenements in, in the city and moved to Brooklyn. And they're, they're like, so I just find these stories so fascinating. You know, since I've been putting them together, my cousins and aunts and uncles have been not only enjoy them, but it brings out other memories right. and other incredible stories of resilience, uh, of incredible resilience of people that didn't have much and were very happy with their little family unit, all living together, most of the time under one roof, but happily. Right. And so I just think it's kind of a, a treasure to give the next generation. I love that. I interviewed someone one time, a genealogist, and she said, I learned and I gather values from my ancestors. And when I started hearing their stories and digging into their stories, and her parents weren't that great, but she Mm -hmm. was able to gather values from her ancestors two and three generations back and draw from that to create a better life for herself. So I love that you're gathering those stories right now. Those are, that's fantastic. Yeah, they're just just incredible characters with, you know, living a a simple life Mm -hmm. and yet leaving such a mark. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit of immortality, really. Now, are you doing that in a book, or is that just on your website with different uh, stories? Right, right now, it's on it's on my website. Okay. I plan to pull together some type of a book. I do have a couple of stories, one of which might be worthy of a children's story, and another is an epic story involving witches and travel and <laughs> all kinds of things. <laughs> I might need to really retire right. <laughs> to get that one done. I have to visit Sicily. Mm. So, but right now I'm in the midst of collecting. I love that because since they're on your website, everybody can read them and mm-hmm. like short right. snippets and short stories. And yes, it's practically free to get your own website nowadays, right? And oh, just put, so easy. gather some of those stories and tell your own story, maybe in a serialized mm-hmm. manner and or the Mm-hmm. stories of your family. So I, I love that you're doing that. Yeah. That's fabulous. Thank you. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. So any last words of wisdom for folks who either may be going through cancer right now or are just about mm-hmm. to maybe go through cancer? What what would you 
tell them? Well, I like people to remember that one does not die from breast cancer. One dies from cancer that breast cancer that metastasizes to a vital organ in the body. And they're amazing fundraisers that are able to amass all these monies for support and awareness to get women to get screened and to take responsibility for their health. And that's very important. But all that money, about 2 to 3% of that money is given to metastatic breast cancer research. Mm-hmm. And this is where the, the cure is going to be found is in the research. Right. And I feel like I'm like living proof of the progress that has been made. I've lived past my expiration date, (laughs) and I'm now the most boring stage four patient at Memorial Sloan Kettering, (laughs) which, you know, I'll take it. Yeah, that's a great position to be in. (laughs) Yeah, so I'll take it. No change, good. So it's in the research that is going to truly make this cancer a memory. It's going to truly be a cure. There will truly be a cure. And I, I want to believe that in my lifetime, I will see Absolutely. that. Absolutely. So anyone can just Google metastatic breast cancer and breast research cancer, yes. and find a, a, a worthy organization to donate right. to. Metaviver is a worthy one. They, they are committed to just providing research grants. And metastatic breast cancer network is another wonderful Great. site. And they also provide support to you, correct? Yes, they do. Yeah, they will steer you into support groups nearby or phone or messaging type of services. Fabulous. And we will put the links to those in our show notes uh, for everyone to go and click on. Great. Well, this has been a very enlightening visit. And Antoinette, thank you so much for sharing your journey. Well, thank you. Our prayers go out to you for continue to be a boring <laughs> stage four cancer. <laughs> that, that's my goal. <laughs> thank you so much for being here. Okay, well, thank you. This has been absolutely lovely. Welcome to Stacy's Journal. In this segment, I let you peek into my journal as I share my thoughts on a topic or resilience resource. Sometimes it can be hard to sit down and actually start the journaling process. When I first began documenting my life through journals, I was worried about everything I was writing ending up being negative. It was a pretty bad time in my life. I didn't want to write it down if everything I wrote was bad. At first, I was worried it it would seem as if I was complaining about everything. But here's the thing. Your journal will never complain about you complaining. Journals are a great way for people to express their thoughts and emotions, no matter how negative. Journaling helps you become more resilient. Writing your emotions down allows you to process them. And through journaling, you can discover new things about yourself and your thoughts. You can heal so many hurts by simply writing down your life stories and experiences. Through the power of the pen, you can claim control of your life. Don't worry about capturing negative emotions. Writing these feelings down will allow you to better cope. Maybe one day, your journal entries can be included in a memoir such as Antoinette's. That's all we have for today. Last episode, I interviewed Carol Graham, who might just be the most tenacious person you'll ever know. So if you need a boost of tenaciousness yourself, you might want to go back and have a listen. Next week, 
Cease Murphy shares his thoughts on appreciating ourselves and realizing that God created each of us to love and be loved. I enjoy interacting with our listeners on social media. We're on Instagram and Pinterest and Facebook, just to name a few. And actually, we're anywhere you can hold a great virtual conversation. Before you go, don't forget to check out all the resources at stacybrookman.com. One more thing, we're having fun counting down the 100 plus most important memoirs of the past 200 years. So our memoir of the day is The Water is Wide, published in 1972 by Pat Conroy. Across a slip of ocean lies South Carolina, but for the handful of families on Yamacraw Island, America is a world away. For years, people here lived off the sea, but now its waters aren't safe. Industry waste threatens their existence unless they can learn a new way. But that's impossible without someone to teach them, and their school has none, until one man gives a year of his life to the island and its people. Check out The Water is Wide and all the memoirs on this list at stacybrookman.com slash 100memoirs. And always remember, life is a story, and it's never too late to start telling yours.